Please open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 21. As you uh, do that, I wanted to catch you up on two related things. And these are things for us to pray for as a church. Um, about a month ago or so, half a month ago, our council, our elders and deacons, um, got together for a leadership planning retreat, our annual planning retreat. And we've been focusing on um, how do we best be great commandment Christians, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and great commission Christians going out, making disciples, baptizing in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, helping people grow in their, their faith journey. We had a very good leadership retreat. Um, in some ways, it was too short. Um, uh, and we're going to be meeting again as a council here in, in a few weeks. Um, and we want to start engaging the congregation as well as we do our planning so that as a church, we're really, really following faithfully the Lord, as he says, be great commission, great commandment. Christians. So very excited about that. And I just want you to pray for our council as we continue to, um, to do some planning. And then we'll, we will, uh, then as a church, um, kind of walk through that together. And the second thing is related to that. Um, it's about making disciples and, and being very intentional about, um, making disciples of, of all people. Um, some time ago, over a year ago, one of the CRC um, commission pastors in the city of Houston, he came to several of, uh, and when I say CRC, if you're new, Christian Reformed Church, that's our denomination, um, several Christian Reformed churches in Houston and said, you know what, um, and this this commission pastor's name is Christian Sebastia. He is just a, uh, he's from Venezuela, just a remarkable individual and pastor, gifted musician. Um, and he said, you know, I've got a vision. I think we need to be planting some, some Spanish-speaking churches in Houston um, so that we can spread the gospel and do so in a way that, that uh, well, is the most effective. And one of the most effective ways of, of making disciples and spreading the gospel is by planting churches. And he said, and what I think we ought to do is we ought to use our existing facilities to help invite uh, church planters come in and plant a church. And uh, so we listened to that and we thought about that. And uh, last um, fall, um, we had two uh, Venezuelan families come in um, several Sundays just to interact with us and to get to know us. And both of them are church planters. And one of them was interested in planting, well, they're both interested in planting churches here in Houston. Um, one at uh, Peace Community Church in Northwest Houston, and one here at Hope. And we prayed about it and thought about it and talked to Christian Sebastia about it um, and really listened for the Lord's guidance on it. And um, some of you may have been aware that we were uh, considering opening up our facility for a Spanish church uh, plant. And so we're, we're kind of working through that right now as, as a council and a leadership um, very excited about what God might do with um, a, a gifted um, pastor team planting a Spanish church. Um, and 
it wouldn't be Hope Church, not one congregation, but we would want to have a very healthy Christ-honoring relationship with um, a church plant that uses our facility. So I've been meeting uh, with this particular, one of those particular families, um, Wilmer and Helen Lopez and their family. They've been here twice. They are an amazing family, and there's a ton of affection between uh, me and, and Pastor Wilmer. Um, but we're, we're working through possibly having Wilmer and Helen inviting their family to come down and help plant a Spanish-speaking church and using our facility eventually for um, worship services. I let you know that now because, um, one, I just want you to be praying about that. Two, we're going to have a congregational meeting sometime down the road, or once we're just a little further along in the process, just to share the, the vision in more detail and to hear from um, this congregation on that. Um, initially, as we're looking at it, you know, this, this first year, it's, there's not a whole lot of impact. It, you know, when you plant a church, a lot of the times you're doing Bible study in your home or Bible study in, in maybe one of our uh, classrooms at, at Hope Church. You're building relationships. Um, sometimes it can be slow going, but I think the vision of, of having two churches that um, are one in the Lord and one in spirit um, and reflect unity in Jesus Christ, that's a powerful witness. So anyway, I wanted to just kind of let you know What's going on with that? Um, and you'll be hearing a little more about that in the weeks to come. Okay, um, let's get on with our text for today. Matthew 21, 1 through 13. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. I want to think about this story and I want to think about what a unique um, 
shift in power this story represents in some surprising ways a shift of power. You know, when a new political leader comes into power, there's always some kind of regime change. It may be minor when there are similar views with the outgoing leader, but often it's major, right? Think of that. When one leader goes out, another leader comes in. Historically, that's been a, a pretty violent um, change. You know, historically, when one regime goes out, another regime goes in, it's because someone either died or someone has been overthrown and killed, and the new regime comes in. Um, so there can be a dramatic change when there is a new regime that forcibly takes over. A new leader meant times, new times are coming. New sheriff is in town. Most Jews who were present wished this would be the case when Jesus came journeying into Jerusalem. And the story is just loaded with emotion. And we'll get to that in the sermon. Uh, the Jewish people were waiting for this fulfillment of, of prophecy. As we read through the Matthew text, Matthew says this Jesus riding in was in fulfillment of this, this prophecy from the Old Testament, from the prophet Zechariah. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Zechariah wrote, get ready for your Messiah. And Zechariah said, I'm going to give you a snapshot of what this is going to look like when your Messiah comes into Jerusalem. He's going to be riding on a donkey, on the colt, on a colt, the, the foal, the, this little donkey, this little baby donkey. So I want you to think about what Matthew does as he tells the story. Um, not only does Jesus talk about Not only does Matthew talk about Jesus riding in a donkey, but he tells it in a way that indicates to us that this is entirely premeditated by Jesus. I mean, this is planned all the way. Uh, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus tells his disciples, go ahead to the next town, and you're going to find a donkey with her young foal, and I want you to untie them and bring them to me. And if someone tries to stop you, just say, hey, the Lord needs them. And, and, and you can just trust that they'll say, great, you can take our donkey, you can take the, the foal. And, and the disciples might be thinking, well, why do you need the donkey, Jesus? Well, I'm going to ride in to Jerusalem on that donkey. And the excitement that the disciples um, may have had at that moment, realizing that Jesus is, is he fulfilling this prophecy from Zechariah? All the Jews, as they gathered around Jesus that morning, finally, we have our king coming in, a new regime. But it didn't happen as they expected that it would. See, they thought that this new regime would would mean the end of the Roman rule over the Israelites. Well, that didn't happen. So what, what did happen? What actually happened when Jesus came proclaiming himself to be this new king um, as he rode into Jerusalem. So I'm going to look at three things that Jesus reveals about his kingdom. He's talking about a regime, a new regime. He's the king. His kingdom's going to be in place. What, what difference does this kingdom make? I want to bring about three things, talk about three things that um, we see as Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem as a king. 
One, Jesus the King came to bring you peace. That's one thing we can know from the story. So it's interesting that Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. And he was fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah, right? Uh, But he is conveying a message about himself as he rides in on his donkey as well. You know, if, if a military leader wanted to display his might as he entered into a city, which was, which was freaking after a battle, a military leader returning after battle into a city or going into a new city that has been conquered after a battle, if the, the leader wanted to display military might, that leader would not ride in on a donkey, but rather on a war horse to show to the people who is boss. And that's not what Jesus does. Um, and Jesus doesn't just choose any donkey to ride in on, but rather a, a young donkey, a foal, and, and not just any young donkey. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, as Luke tells a story, Jesus indicates that this donkey had never been ridden before. Okay, so you, I mean, I, I, I'm not around farm animals too often. Um, but I know that horses, unless they've been trained, donkeys, they don't like people just hopping on their back and riding. I know that much. And Jesus says, I want you to go get this donkey, this young donkey. In fact, I want you to get this young donkey that has never been ridden before and bring it here, and I'm going to hop on that donkey's back, and we're going to ride into Jerusalem together. This little donkey. People, the disciples, Jesus, what are you thinking? This donkey's not going to let you do that. And, and I, just want you, I just want you to see the, the, the peace that Jesus is bringing as he's riding in Jerusalem. He cares so much about this little young donkey. He says, you know what, I want you to bring that donkey's mother too because he's going to need mom there with him as I hop on his back. I mean, Jesus wants to bring peace even to this little donkey. Have mom come with you to bring peace to this young little donkey. And I'm going to be so gentle as I ride into Jerusalem. This is what Jesus is thinking. Jesus comes in peace. Now, you might think that peace happens when everything is going good. That's how I often think about peace. When everything's going good, I have peace. Um, but I also know that things can feel like they're going really good, and actually they can be going really bad. I just, I just might not see that they're going bad. Um, as the Gospel of Luke tells this story, right before Jesus rolls into Jerusalem, he looks out over the city, and the Bible says that he starts to weep over the city of Jerusalem. And this is what Luke writes, chapter 19, verse 42. Jesus is looking over the city and says, If you, even you, Jerusalem, the inhabitants of the city, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You know, Jesus himself says that he gives peace, but not the way that the world gives peace. The world is so focused on external circumstances. Not that external circumstances aren't important to Jesus. They are. I mean, he, that's why he healed the sick. Because external circumstances are important to Jesus. But the peace that we often seek, the the peace that Jerusalem, the city, was seeking, um, is the peace that 
we try to manufacture by getting things to go right. Um, we try to get things to go right through control, through manipulation of others, of situations, systems, um, so that we can get things to go better for ourselves. And and Jesus looks over Jerusalem, they're thinking this. They, he knows that they're thinking this. They just want things to be smoothed over with the Romans. And he's like, ah, you're looking for peace in the wrong way. So it's been said before of this passage that, um, in this Palm Sunday scene, that this is a picture of the lifelong mismatch between what you want from God and what God is providing. You know, we, we, we want, we want ease and comfort. That's natural. We, we want, we want to be well liked by others. I mean, that's kind of natural. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want this job or that job. We want this salary. We want this opportunity to open up. We think these things will bring us peace. We want that girlfriend, this boyfriend. Make it happen, Lord. That will bring me peace. It all seems very reasonable to us. And when things don't go that way, when there's this, this disconnect with what we, between what we want and what the Lord is providing, we can start thinking, God, come on, God, don't be so chintzy. I mean, this makes so much perfect sense to me that this should happen in my life the way that I want it. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus knows the things that we think would really bring us peace really wouldn't, not in the long run, not in the long run. So Jesus comes to bring peace between you and God. You know, if Jesus really did ride in on that war horse, sworn drawn, And start slashing away at Roman soldiers. You know, the, the Jewish crowd might have enjoyed that for a moment or two. Maybe a, a month or two, maybe a year or two. Boy, wasn't that great when Jesus came into town and just slayed all of our enemies in front of us. But then down the road, they would be bound to think, we would be bound to think today, you know. Is Jesus going to come and bring that sword to me as well? Because we we realize that the the evil, the wickedness that might have been in present in the Romans at that time, um, well, that that evil, that wickedness, that a little bit of that is in me as well. And if Jesus is bringing the sword to them, would He bring the sword to me? So Jesus wants to remove all doubts in our minds of that. He comes into to Jerusalem. Let's go over it one more time. Not just riding on a donkey, not just riding on the, the colt of a donkey, but on this, this little vulnerable beast that had never been ridden before. And he says, I'm going to come in so gently that I'm going to bring peace even to this little donkey. That's the heart of our Lord. That's the peace that he wants to give you today. And you may be... You may be loaded down with with guilt this morning, the guilt that we have from sin. And Jesus shows you the way that he approaches you is gently inviting you to receive the forgiveness of your sins as he would die on the cross. Just 
short of one week later than when he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. So Jesus the King brings us peace. Jesus the King, second point, Jesus the King invites you to cry out. Uh, Matthew says there's a great crowd around Jesus, a great parade, a festive parade. Is that what this is the scene of? Not quite. Um, the, the crowd spreads their garments on the, on the ground, the, the, the branches, the palm branches on the ground. Um, that was a way of symbolizing um, victory of, of the warriors coming back into the city. Um, but the people are doing one other thing as well as, the, as, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Look at verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, if you have one of the older translations uh, of the Bible, um, your Bible may say that the crowds um, cried this out. And if you look at that word shouted, the best way to understand that word is they were shrieking. They were crying out. The word is crazo. It's the word that we get our word crazy from. So it wasn't just this festive parade. It was people who were shrieking, who were crying out. Hosanna, which means save, Lord, save. They're crying this out as Jesus is rolling into Jerusalem. Um, a little bit about that word crazo. Just before this story, Jesus and his disciples, as they travel from Jericho to Jerusalem, there's these two blind men that they meet on the way. And Matthew uses the same word to talk about the, the blind men crying out to Jesus. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And they, they cried it out with this crazo verb. They wouldn't keep quiet. And so just as those blind men were desperate for Jesus, this Jewish crowd, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, they're desperate for God to do something. And they're just crying out to the Lord in absolute distress. And I thought of that, and I think of us today in our world today. Have you been to that level of distress or desperation, just cried out to the Lord, Lord, do something, save me. I think Jesus would want us to know that he hears those cries. He hears your cries. He hears our cries. And he's going to listen because there's peace between you and him. He's established that peace. He's going to listen. He's going to do something about it. What does Jesus do in this moment? So that when we cry out to Jesus today, we can know that he hears and that he's doing something about it. That's our third point. Jesus the King creates a community of blessing. And you might be thinking, where do you see that in the story? Jesus bringing, building this community of blessing. So if you look at verse 12, we have to notice where Jesus goes when he comes into Jerusalem. 
Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. Now, Jesus going to the temple as his first destination when he comes into Jerusalem, that might not be all that surprising. He's a Jew. He worships, he worships God, his heavenly father. It would make sense for Jesus maybe to go to the temple first so that he could, he could worship God. That's not all that surprising. What is surprising, at least for the people there at the time of Jesus, was his first action when he went to the temple after arriving in Jerusalem. Um, what does he do in the temple? He turns over the turns over the, the tables of the money changers and the, the selling animals. So let's think about that. The, the Jewish people were ready for Jesus to do something. They were ready for him to cause up a stir as he rode into Jerusalem. Now, right, befi- right beside the temple, um, the Jewish temple, King Herod had built a massive Roman fortress um, it was known as um, Antonia Fortress. He built it in honor of Mark Antony. This towering fortress, which stood right next to the Jewish temple, had these four columns that went up 140 or so, 14 stories feet or uh, high. These menacing towers overlooking the Jewish temple, loaded with Roman soldiers. So the Jewish crowd's ready for Jesus to do some stirring up of something. He goes into the temple, overturns the tables in the temple. You would think the Jews would be, Jesus, if you're going to stir up some trouble, why don't you go next door? Why don't you go next door to the, the Antonia Fortress and stir up some trouble there? He's doing it right at home in the Jewish temple. So there were the, the money changer tables and the tables where animals were sold, uh, people would come into Jerusalem with their Roman currency. Well, the Roman currency was not, they didn't use that in the temple. had images of Caesar on it. That's, that's a no-no in the Jewish temple. So you've got to change that to a currency, like a Jewish currency. So they go to the tables and they exchange their money, and, and the money exchangers would get a little profit from that. And they go to the next set of tables and they'd, you know, they, they, they would journey for miles and miles and miles. So they probably didn't bring their sacrifices with them. That would be difficult. So, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll sell you some animals right here. Of course, we'll get a little profit from that as well. I think Jesus comes in and he knows where he's going. He knows he's going to the cross in less than a week. And he, and he sees what's going on in the temple. And I think he finally says, enough is enough. This is not what the worship of God is supposed to be about. This is not what my house is about. And so what does Jesus say his house is about? In verse 13, what does Jesus say? My house will be a house of prayer. Now, isn't that interesting? Why did Jesus call it a house of prayer? Why not my house will be a house of worship, house of praise? Why not my house will be a house of the word of the Lord? Why? When we, when you come to church, when I come to church, I'm often thinking, and maybe you're often thinking, oh, we're going to, we're going to go worship. We're going to go praise God. Um, you may be thinking, hey, I'm going to go and hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to hear a sermon. 
is your first thought, hey, I'm going to go to, the, I'm going to, go to church today I'm, so we can pray together. I'm, I'm suggesting that's probably not what you're first thinking. Maybe we should think of that more, right? We're going to pray together. We're going to church so we can pray together. Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. When he does that, he's actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 56. So let me, I'm going to put this on the screen, and we're going to talk through Isaiah 56 a little bit here. Starting in verse um, 3 of Isaiah 56, this is what it says. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. See, the, 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 the Jews are accustomed to thinking of the, the temple as being a place just for the Jewish people, that the Lord's people, that was the Jewish people. And God says, no, 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 anyone who comes to me with a sincere heart, anyone who seeks me with a sincere heart, he or she is my part of my family. They are part of my people. Eunuchs, they were for, forbidden by Jewish law from worshiping in the, in the temple. They couldn't engage with worship in, in the temple. And God says to these eunuchs, eunuchs, you will be my people. Not like some dry tree, but you will blossom as you are a part of my people. Verse 4, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what, what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Think about who's the only one who can legally give someone a name? Like, like I'm naming you and it sticks. Who, who has the right to do that? A parent. Absolutely right. God says, I will call you by name. You are mine. I will be your father. And when you come into my house, God says, you aren't just a one person. You're not just a nobody. You are a somebody in my house. You're not just one of the crowd. You are mine. So I'm going to give you a name. Verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to them, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house a prayer for all nations. Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. He's quoting Isaiah 56. He's calling all attention to what God does in Isaiah 56. He's bringing in everyone into his house of worship. Everyone who sincerely seeks the Lord and says, you will be my people. You will be one. And in God's house, people will pray because our trust is in the name of the Lord and in God's house, people will receive blessing from the Lord. Why? Because God has called you here by name. And in God's house, people will love one another because God has assembled here this beautiful church where we are one. 
he's assembling this house, that will, this community that will be a community of blessing where no one is excluded. See, when Jesus came riding into the temple, or into Jerusalem and then to the temple, he showed his first priority. His first priority as king is making a people who will worship and who will pray together, My the, being in this house of prayer. And I'm wondering if Jesus wasn't talking about the, the stone temple that would be the house of prayer, but the people gathered there will be the house of prayer. And will build their lives around the Lord and will build their lives about around being being this body of love for one another through the struggle through the pains through the trials of life Jesus says I come to bring peace maybe not the fix it peace like you're hoping for or I just kind of zap everything and everything's easy But I'm building up this temple, this house of prayer. He will be my love and my presence for you as you go through your struggle. And I will hear you when you cry out. And I will give you a people who will be a family. I thought of verse 9 of our scripture as, as I was thinking through this. Verse 9 or the, the crowd shout out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I thought what Jesus is doing is he's building a church where we can say that of one another. Blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord. You're coming in the Lord's name and you are being a blessing to me. You're being a blessing to us. When you come in the name of the Lord, you will be a blessing to someone else. You know, the Jews thought, Jesus, come on, build an army. Build an army with us so they can go next door to the Antonio Fortress and kick some Roman rear. Build an army. And he says, okay, I'm going to build an army, but it's not going to be the one that you're thinking of. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's the army that I'm building, Jesus says. And our weapons will not be swords, but love and compassion and kindness and generosity. You will be a blessing. So the last several weeks, you've heard me talk quite a bit about being this loving community. Over and over, we've talked about that and demonstrating love. I, this is what the king, as he's riding in Jerusalem, this is what he's going to give his life to, building this family of redeemed, forgiven people who will radically love one another and then grow this community that's inclusive. Everyone's coming in. The eunuchs, they're coming in. The foreigners, they're coming in. Those people who are different from you are coming in because I'm building up this one body, and this one body will prevail against the, the darkness and the gates of Hades in the world. When I was serving um, on staff at a church in Northwest Houston in the, the early 2000s, um, my family was part of a small group for 10 years, part of the small group. And one of the couples in the group went through a separation and a divorce. Um, the, the, the wife um, just kind of checked out. Um, 
started getting into some substance abuse and just checked out and went to moved to another part of the city. And it was painful. It was painful watching this happen. Uh, my friend was was a big guy, the, the husband, just a, a former college football player, just a big, successful guy in, in business. Um, and I just remember the sight of him as as he was going through all of this. One Sunday after church, sanctuary was empty, except for my friend sitting over in that little section where the students are sitting right now, sitting right over in that section after church, and he's just he's just sobbing. He's just sobbing. Well, that that husband stayed in that in our small group, and um, that group was just able to love him and pray for him. My house is a house of prayer, and serve him. He met another woman a few years later. They got married. Uh, about a year after that, they they decided we're going to attend another church. You know, so, you know just for various reasons. We need to go find another church, and they did that. The amazing thing is they, for years, they still attended that same small group. <laughs> that's, that's the power of, of church, my friends. That's the power of this community that Jesus builds that helps love one another through through the, the events of life that make us just want to cry out to Lord, save Lord. And Jesus says, I, I have. I've died on the cross and I'm building my body, my church. And it will be a house of prayer. So we're wrapping it up today. I want you to just think through what is the Lord saying to you as you consider how you are going to be a part of this house of prayer, how you are going to um, rally around one another. Maybe one of these small groups that we're starting for the Bible in a year, that maybe that's that's something you need to consider just to just to come around other Christians. How, how, how are you wanting to cry out this morning? Jesus will hear your prayer. He will hear your cry. He will hear the prayers of his people. And he will save. He will save. He's our good God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being our king. Lord, will you forgive us when we uh, get so fixated on that quick fix that we want, that, that superficial peace, the, the, the peace through outward circumstances. We, we have this vision for life. If things could be just this way, Lord, oh, we would be so happy. Things would be so much better if you would just do this and that for us. Lord, we know that you offer a deeper peace that comes when we are walking with you and when we are walking in this this loving church family with one another. Lord, we want to cry out to you. We want to pray to you as we get ready to sing this next song. And we ask that you would build up our faith and that you would equip us to be your body, your community of blessings for one another and also for this community 
around us, this neighborhood that we're living in, Lord. We pray for your salvation. Thank you for being the God who saves. In Christ's name, amen.